0: Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I got an awesome guest today, Sam George, who's from Athens, Alabama. He fished the FLW Tour in 2019 and 2020. He also fishes now the Bassmaster EQ. So how you doing, Sam? Good. How about y'all? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. It's good to have you here. And a question I always like to open it up is I'm super interested in like, how people get in the fishing and kind of where they started at. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, how did you get into fishing and who were kind of some of those mentors that helped you out along the way to get where you are today?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of, you know, kind of the basic story like everybody else. I mean, I, I just kind of grew up, didn't really know any different. My dad fished um, and, and kept me on the water a lot. And whenever he couldn't take me, we had friends and family that, that kept me on the lake. Um, but, you know, I just kind of, just same old story just grew up fishing farm farm ponds golf course ponds we uh my first fake id was actually a uh, fishing license to uh break into the the golf course over here and uh after we got caught not having having the the neighborhood license we went home and made copies of of one so we could uh we could access the water and (laughs) so you know i just kind of grew up like any other kid that just loved bass fishing and uh you know, when I kind of got more into it a little bit, um, I, I actually, uh, started homeschooling when I was in high school and just so I could kind of travel and start fishing a few more tournaments, um, that, and also we have a big farm, so it just kind of made sense to, to do that, to have the free time. So whenever I didn't have, you know, like my dad or anything to take me fishing, uh, we had friends that, you know, were self-employed and stuff. And so they would get their work done and I would get my school work done for the day. And then we'd go to the water. So um, I was really fortunate to kind of grow up in a in a scenario where you know I had a lot of people to make sure that I was always on the water, not getting into any trouble. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it. Um, just kind of you know had some really good uh, good guys to kind of you know get me in the industry, um, business wise, and just fishing wise. Um, so I was uh, I was real fortunate just to kind of have the right crowd around me.
0: Yeah, Sam. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. From being from Penn, uh, from PA and like out by the Philadelphia area, I've never fished farm ponds, and that sounds like something that there's probably some decent sized bass in those farm ponds.
1: Oh yeah, those are uh, those right? are the holy grails. <laughs> usually, that's kind of that's why we ran the risk of getting in trouble when we were about twelve or thirteen, having some fake IDs to be in a neighborhood. I mean, there are golf course ponds, and we've. I wish I knew how many 35 to 40 pound stringers we've caught out of them, them places. I mean, we, I can remember the the most incredible year of fishing we ever saw on one of them. I was probably, I'm going to say probably about 10 or 12 years old. And I can remember uh, when a swim bait first started becoming a thing. And uh, I remember Yum had come out with the money minnow. And I, I remember seeing Bill Dance catch him on a money minnow on, on one episode. And I, I remember... We were at the tackle store here and, uh, you know, I, I had like a little $20 budget or whatever my, my mom had given me for chores, you know, and I remember seeing those money minnows on the, uh, on the wall and I bought some and I can remember to this day going to that golf course pond and like everything you swung the bat on was six or eight pounds. I mean, they were giants. And, uh, so yeah, it, it was, uh, it was cool growing up in an area, you know, where you could just kind of bounce around you know, little private places and, and just kind of learn skills of bass fishing. So we were, we were fortunate to have several options for that.
0: That's funny too, because that's down in Alabama, right? And you're not too far away from like Guttersville and then uh, the Tennessee River down there. So when you were growing up, did you ever fish those big bodies of water or was it just kind of jumping around to those different like um, ponds and different like farm ponds and golf course ponds?
1: Oh yeah. I, I fished all of those as well, but you know, it, when I was, uh, when I was younger, obviously we couldn't just drive and, you know, drive to the lake. So it was kind of whoever's mom was, was able to drop us off somewhere. That's where we got dropped off at. Um, but, but no, when I, when I got into it more like, you know, tournament fishing wise and started fishing a lot of club stuff when I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. Um, I mean, almost every trail here went to, you know, different lakes. We had Guntersville, Wheeler were probably the two bigger ones. We would go to Wilson a lot, which is kind of a a sleeper on the Tennessee River. You don't really hear about it much just because we don't have big events there. Um, And then Pickwick was one. Smith Lake is one. Um, But, like, you know, just being young, we couldn't just show up at any of those all the time. So, um, But when I got into tournament fishing, um, obviously, you know, I started spending more and more time on those bodies of water just because They're really diverse. You see, you can, you know, look at at guys that move here from all over the country, um, like California and out west. Everybody, or at least used to, you know, the deal was is everybody that wanted to be a bass fisherman would pack up and move to this area. And, uh, you know, you look at Justin Lucas, Aaron Martins, like whenever they all decided they were going to fish professionally, they moved to this area because this area has so much diversity. We have deep and clear, we have shallow grass. Uh, you know, we, Wheeler here used to be just a mud hole. So, you know, it, it kind of, we have so many, uh, diverse fisheries in just a small area. Um, it was, it was pretty beneficial growing up, you know, fishing those different bodies of water.
0: Yeah. That's got to help your game out a lot too, especially when you travel these different places like Florida and New York. And it's just completely different fishing, right. From Florida to New York. And you grow up in a, in a place where you can kind of test out those different um, tactics on your home body where that's got to be real nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It, I've had a lot of scenarios, you know, traveling all over the country where you kind of look back on a deal that, you know, you learned, you know, seven, eight, even 10 years ago, just from something pretty simple. It may just be a, a particular day that you had to make an adjustment. Um, but, Or even just something as simple as having confidence in a a lure or a technique um, that, that you, you know, had a similar situation with. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area. Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. With tailored digital marketing services, from social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit BadRhinoInc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to.
0: So let's jump into a couple of weeks ago. And it's a this is a tournament that I've been talking about a little bit on this podcast just because Crazy bags, crazy numbers, and also had uh, the guy who wanted Luke Palmer on too, a couple of episodes ago in season one. But you had you also had a great showing at Wheeler Lake, um, going into the last day. Believe you were in the lead and ended up finishing in fourth. Um, so, can you just walk me through a little bit about that tournament, like from day one, day two, day three, and then kind of what you were experiencing during that last day? What happened, and then um, kind of like, are you happy with it, or did you really want to take home that win?
1: yeah you know I'm I was I'm happy with it I I haven't lost any sleep over it um you know all I asked for going into that tournament you know I really just wanted to make the cut and have a shot to win and uh you know the weather it was really frustrating because I knew the weather wasn't right for what I was needing to do to have a shot to win but like I didn't really have much of a choice and tried to you know basically just had to force it and uh you know, day one, um, was basically perfect scenario weather-wise. Um, it was slick, hot, sunny, no, no wind, you know, relatively tough conditions. Um, but I had two different deals going on. I had a shad spawn in the morning up on some shallow bars and, then, um, I also had a second or a kind of a plan C, I guess, of swimming a jig, uh, and flipping. And, and the first day it just kind of worked out perfect scenario um i caught one or two good ones really early on a shad spawn first thing in the morning and then uh i caught a big one flipping um and then after that i went uh there's some uh there's a little section of the lake around the nuclear plant where we actually start getting into kind of some of those actual classic you know tennessee river ledges where like the tops are in like 15 to 18 and then the deeper stuff you know falls off into 30 and i had Just over the years, I've I've found just two or three little places that they get set up on, you know, out deep. And they're very, very specific one cast deals. It's just like a little bit of a hard spot, you know, on a long bar. Nothing really special. It's just kind of an area they get on. And I never really checked it in practice because I knew that there was a really good chance they weren't there yet because it was kind of changing every day. And I knew no matter what, I would come back to it during the event because I've seen what happens when they show up. Um, so I kind of, you know, I wouldn't say struggled, but I had a I had a decent start and like two or three little ones in the live well on day one. And I, I ran down there just because I knew I could, you know, check it really quick. And I idled the first one and they were just, you could just see them dinged up on the bottom. And I, I knew, like when I saw that, I knew that I was going to have a chance that week. And I turned around and and caught them pretty much every cast on a 6XD and a hair jig. (laughs) Sorry, a hair jig and a a flutter spoon. Um, So whenever day two rolled around, I kind of knew it was going to get tougher simply because I had the perfect conditions on day one. But day two, I was starting to get, you know, kind of some of that cloudy, rainy wind and for those fish to really set up right they really really like sunshine um i don't know why um i i I think it's just they get to a certain depth where their senses you know aren't really they're really really relying a lot on sight and sound um just because they get in so deep of water like they they just really struggle to find a bait under really cloudy and rainy conditions, just because it's like somebody flipped a light switch, you know, it's just so dark. And, uh, day two, uh, I kind of struggled a lot. I had some mechanical issues with a bilge pump and got that fixed and I uh, got back on the water. My first bite, uh, back on the water was almost a six pounder. And, uh, so that kind of got that ball rolling in that right direction. And, uh, I kept fishing, 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 uh, up shallow and man, it just wasn't really happening. And I was kind of starting to get low on time. And my plan was to go fish those deep fish whenever, you know, I had a decent limit and it got to where, you know, I was getting low on time, wasn't really getting bit. And I was like, you're just, you know, you're just going to have to go and hope they bite. And, uh, I hit two or three of those places, man. And, and like, wasn't really seeing them. There was a few on one of those places. Um, I could see them, but they weren't set up right, wouldn't bite. And after about the third place I hit, I was like, man, this is like, this might be bad. And, um, luckily when I was running back, I pulled over onto the first place I hit because I could see some, they just wouldn't bite. I pulled in there and, uh, you know, like my second cast, I caught one and that got the school to fire and I caught them every single cast for about 10 minutes and called all the way up. I went from 11 pounds to almost 20 in like 10 minutes. And, uh, so I knew I'd kind of got a little lucky because it was pretty bad conditions for that to happen, but it did. And that was kind of where I was like, you know, okay, maybe this, this may end up working out, you know, it kind of gave me a little confidence that those fish were still willing to bite if I timed it right under those conditions, just cause I knew that was going to happen on day three. So day two, you know, comes and goes and we're in the lead. And, you know, I looked at that weather on day three and I was like, you know, it is not ideal conditions, but I've burned, I've burned all my shallow fish. I've burned my shad spawn fish. Like I have nothing else that I feel like I can catch 18 to 19 pounds, which is turned out. It is exactly what I needed. And, uh, you know, I just kind of basically forced it um i don't really regret it uh i went shallow and i swam a jig a little bit the water had fallen um and i caught i caught several fish but they were mostly small i mean i I really lost my quality up shallow so when about nine or ten o'clock rolled around it was kind of the same scenario like i knew i was just gonna have to commit to that deep deal and and make it work and you know i i don't really regret it because it it almost worked out and I, uh, I kind of struggled a little bit at first and it was raining, and pouring sideways. And we literally had like five minutes of sunshine and I got the school to fire and I caught three big ones and then the sunshine went right back away and the rain started and then we had to go to weigh in. So like I had 15 pounds with two little bitty ones. And I mean, if you give me, I really feel like if you had given me 10 minutes of sunshine, I'd have got one more bite and been really, really close. And so, like, I don't really regret anything, and I've slept great at night because, like, at the end of the day, I put myself in a position where I was just one bite away, and that bite just never happened. And, you know, if you put yourself in those situations enough, you're eventually going to get that last bite you need. And, you know, I fished clean all week. I never lost anything that would have helped. Um, so I mean, that's, that's really all you can ask for. And at the end of the day, you know, it was still a solid tournament and we've got a lot of fish left throughout the year. So points wise, you know, we made up a lot of ground, so it's kind of hard to complain. I would have liked to win, but you know, at the end of the day, like when you're meant to win, you're going to have stuff that happens that, that, you know, you can't stop. And, you know, we had some lucky stuff happen, but you know, we were still just one or two bites short and. At the end of the day, you know, I'm all right with that.
0: No, that's fair. It sounds like something that, like, you you can't control it, right? You can only control what you can't control. Being at the spot where putting the right bait in front of them, and if they bite, they bite. If they don't, they don't. And, you know, you hit on a point there that hits home for me because I've lost a ton of fish, whether whether it be, you know, a bass or, you know, sometimes I lose sleep at night losing a couple muskies too, and I'll just, like, sit there just with my eyes wide open. How, how difficult is it when you're in a tournament like that you lose a fish that could be either getting you into the cut or it could move you up significant amount to get more points like how difficult is that when you actually lose a fish you're like man if i just if i just did this differently i could get that fish in the boat and do this like how how hard is that cuz that's got to suck
1: oh yeah i've i've got a list of them. Uh, i've got a list of life changing bass that that i think about all the time but but you know it is it, still one of those Everybody loses them. I mean, even, and that's just part of that meant to be deal. Like for example, uh, at Lay Lake, um, when, uh, Will Davis Jr. won, you know, he won by an ounce or two ounces, three ounces, whatever it was, uh, Brandon Polinick had a dead fish that last day. And so there's two sides to that story, you know, and Palahniuk's the one that actually told me this on the, on the dock is you know it's easy to get really frustrated like you know i should have checked my fish whatever but like how his fish died it got a cold tag caught like basically pinned between his recirculation pump and the live well wall, and the fish couldn't move or breathe they ended up dying and that cost him four ounces which cost him the tournament and you know you look at something like that and you get really frustrated but at the end of the day there those are little things that happen yeah it It cost Pollanic that tournament, but those are the little like acts of God that happen for like Will Davis Jr. to win. You know, so his side of the story is magical, like it's meant to be. It's when it's you know, like the right stuff happens and lines up to where you win, and then you look at Pollanic's side of the story, and it's kind of crushing, you know, but. And Palamek told this story, not in a bad way, but, like, just a, an example of, you know, when it's your time to win something, you can't stop it, and um, and vice versa. If you're not meant to win, you're not going to win, no matter how bad you try, I want to, um, but, you know, I try to look at those scenarios, especially with, like, lost fish. Um, that's something that, that really, really keeps me awake at night sometimes, um, but, like, you follow this year my i had a good uh a pretty decent first day and the second day my first bite of the day my first cast was almost like a seven pounder and i lost it it's jumped a hundred times out there on a crankbait and gets all the way to the boat and just like goes under the boat and just pulls off and it was like a kick in the throat and uh you know it was it was a really hard pill to swallow because you know that was like the one that if you give me that bite, I felt like I could just catch four keepers and I'd be fine. And, uh, but that was kind of crushing. But then I, in my head, I had to say, okay, you know, ignore that bite happened. But you know, that bite is telling you that these fish are still here. There's big ones here. Like if she's here, there's more here. And that's something I used to struggle with, with losing fish. But at the end of the day, Like, even if you lose a good one or two, those fish are telling you that you're around the right ones, and that's something that you just kind of have to, like, block it off in your head, like, let that bite teach you something, but also pretend it never happened, like, you know, just act like you never even saw that fish, but just rest assured that 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 fish is telling you you're doing the right deal, Um, so... That's something that I, I struggle with and still struggle with. I mean, that's something that I think everybody struggles with. Um, but sometimes, man, at the end of the day, you just lose them. Uh, there's, you can have the best rod, line, hooks. As long as you're controlling it to your extent, as long as you're not just, you know, pulling out rusty treble hooks in a, on a crankbait and winging it around and losing them, if you've done everything you can do on your end to, to prevent losing one and make sure you put that fish in the boat if they still come off i mean it just is what it is you're just going to lose them sometimes but it sucks i mean i don't like it but it is what it is
0: that's the truth and it's funny because i talked to uh, mark mendez a little bit about this and he was like man the the tournaments i won it was it's a weird feeling but like he would be he would say uh Eric, I would go into the tournament knowing I would win. I'd be able to tell you that I'd win that tournament. I don't know what he's – he couldn't explain it. He'd be like, I don't know what it is, but I would just have that feel and be like everything's lining up. The stars are aligning, and this is going to be the one I win, and I don't know why, but this is it. So it's its interesting like this, this kind of acts of God where it might suck for someone else, but then the other person's like, oh, this is like – this is just meant to be, right? Yeah. and. It's crazy to see kind of the ebbs and flows of it, and I, the next question I have for you here, it revolves around the Bassmaster EQ and the new um the new format that they have, and it's something that I've been looking into a little bit. I don't fully understand it, so if you could just take a little bit of time here and just explain it, um, for me and the listeners too, of what that new format kind of looks like and changes from last year in twenty twenty two.
1: Yeah, so um, for you, I mean, they've kind of changed every about every two years or so you kind of see a format change um but the most recent one uh and i was a big advocate for this uh is the the eq system which basically now so we and i don't know how many divisions i think we still have three divisions but used to we had three divisions of tournaments so there would be there would be three divisions with three events so nine events total and they would take three guys to the elite series the top three in points from each division and plus three overall so they would take 12 total did i do that math right yeah so yeah um so basically you had uh you had a chance in each division and then if you fished all nine, they took three guys as well the top three for for the guys that fished all all mine tournaments for the year um Now, this year is the first year that they're doing it, um, and I think it's going to work out really well in the long run and be very beneficial to kind of everybody, um, where instead of taking anybody from any individual division, you have to fish all of them, and they're taking nine total, like the top nine guys in points. Um, And there's really a few things that 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 does, in my opinion. Um, Number one is they have a serious issue or have had a serious issue of guys that, you know, they'll sh- they would show up, fish, uh, fish one division of opens and qualify their first year. Um, and you know, not taking it away from some of those guys, but there would be scenarios where there would be two of those tournaments would be basically on their home bodies of water. And then the third one, they would kind of squeak by. And then all of a sudden they're like thrown to the sharks in the elite series and they would fish four or five events and then drop out. And then that affects the whole payout for everybody. Um, whenever you would lose a boat like that. So with, with guys not being kind of financially prepared or really just on the water prepared, it would kind of hurt everybody, including themselves, but also the other elite anglers, because those guys would, would, you know, they wouldn't come back for the year or, you know, drop out with two events left and it would shake up the whole payout for everybody. Um So you had that. And then uh also just the simple fact that they're trying to get, you know, to where they have the best of the best of the best. And, and over the course of an entire season, th- those guys in that top nine, I mean, there's so much – Diversity you face throughout the year, different bodies of water. I mean, the guys that that are in that top nine, I mean, they're going to do very, very well on the elite series, and they're they know what it's going to take financially because you've traveled the country for nine events, which is basically what an elite series season is. So you know financially what it is. You've had a whole year, uh, sponsor wires or sponsor wise, to gain more exposure. They've been really, really pushing the EQ coverage now. Um, so, you know, it's it I think long term it's gonna be very, very beneficial for everybody. Um, I think that, you know, as an angler, uh, what I like about it is it I wouldn't say it gives you room to have a bad event, but it gives you room to, you know, kind of have a mediocre tournament like a you can have a, a 75th or like an 80th place finish and recover that um, on three spots. I mean, especially in a single division, if you finished really below about 25th or 30th, you were done. I mean, period, end of story. Like, you know, seven, eight years ago, it wasn't as competitive and you could recover that. Um, but but nowadays, I mean, I think, that, I think last year in a single division, uh, I think one of them, and I can't remember which one, um, but we were just doing the math to talk about it in another, uh, in another podcast. One of those divisions, I think it took a 12th place average on three events. And then the other, it was 14th and the other, it was 16th to make it on three spots. And th- that is absolutely blasting them against 225 boats all the time. I mean, you're dealing with locals, pros, like just the numbers are just so stacked against you. Like if you have a, if your trolling motor battery dies at 12 o'clock, like your season's over. Um, and, and that stuff happens. And I mean, you know, it's your whole season shouldn't be dictated on a bad five minutes during the day. And that, that's just so hard to, that's so hard to comprehend and, and recover that on only three spots. So I think them doing this all nine or all, tournaments and take the top nine I think you're going to see the guys that that really really deserve you know a shot in the elite series I think you're going to see them rise to the top and you know definitely earn their spot and do very 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 well when they get there
0: definitely and it sounds like you know the anglers would be more set up to to take on the elite series when they are traveling all over the place when they do have to compete in all nine opens too so that's awesome. I appreciate you kind of taking the time and explaining that to me a little bit because I was a little confused when I was reading about it, but um, I think that'll help out a lot. So Sam, we wrap this up here. I got actually have a ton more questions to ask you, but we are running short on time here. And um, I just want to give you the time to talk about your largemouth, um, your PB largemouth, your PB smallmouth. And if you want to throw your PB uh, spotted bass in there too, because I know a lot of guys like talking about that too, feel free.
1: Yeah, so uh, my personal best largemouth. Uh it was eleven four. I caught it down at Lake Falcon. Uh God, when was that? It was probably two thousand and nine, ten. I mean, it's been a long time ago. Um I caught it I caught it on a football jig down there though. Um this was this was back when Falcon was like, you know, crazy good. It's still good. They just, you know, they're dealing with some low water and stuff right now. But um yeah, that was back when I mean, you could go to any point and catch like thirty-five pounds of them, um, but yeah, eleven-four was my my biggest largemouth I've ever caught, the biggest one I've ever caught in a, in a tournament. I think it was ten, it was ten-three or ten-four. I caught it at Lake Chickamauga in twenty seventeen. Um, I caught her sight fishing. I fished for her for like an hour, and uh, finally got the bite. Um, it was one of the craziest fish catches I'd ever had. Um, uh, smallmouth. Now the smallmouth one gets a little funny because I have an eight three smallmouth, but I caught it on a live shiner. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I have buddies that, that tell me all the time it doesn't count. Not I, I. My response is how many eight pound smallmouth have you caught? <laughs> But, uh, but no, if you take that one away, uh, I have a seven, a seven twelve that I caught actually on Wheeler Lake, uh, probably four or five years ago. I caught it on a crankbait. Um, but the eight three is my biggest, but it was on a shiner. So if they don't want to count that, we'll do the seven pounder on Wheeler. <laughs>
0: Dude, either one is fantastic. I'll, we'll count the live shiner here though. we'll count that
1: one for sure. Yeah. It's even worse to you know, sitting on a five gallon bucket on the front deck of my boat, too, when it bit with my feet in the water. <laughs> the Sawyer. <laughs> That's the Sawyer. Awesome, that. That's awesome, though. That's awesome. But, uh, and
0: then a uh, spotted bass. I don't know if you fish for them, but
1: spotted bass. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I th- I've caught, uh, I've caught one or two that, that I've never put a scale on that I think were like, you know, like well over five. But I, I've had a lot of like, you know, high fours, like, you know, right at like almost five pounders on Smith Lake and stuff. Um, I caught one. We had a uh, an open there years ago where we could still throw an Alabama rig in the wintertime. Um, it was like the first week of March. And I caught one. I never waited for big bass because somebody... Somebody had like a six pound largemouth or something, but, uh, I did catch one on an Alabama rig that, that I would about bet money that it was like five, even to like five pound, like five, two ish somewhere in that range, you know, just like kind of right around that five pound mark. Um, but it was on Alabama rig. So we might as well, we can count it like the shiner fish if you want (laughs) to count it or not, but. Now I've I caught several you know just good like four and a half to four and three quarter pound spots here. Um, this place has got them pretty good, but especially in the wintertime, we catch you know catch quite a few like really big ones.
0: No, absolutely. They, that's some uh, that's some decent sized fish, man. All of them. I mean, all three of them. Especially that we'll take that eight pounder smallmouth for sure. We'll take that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. it was fun. I <laughs> thought it was. I thought it was a trash fish too. It was. I kept trying to break the line on it and it came up and did a backflip out there. <laughs> oh, it's a pretty embarrassing story. <laughs> I love it.
0: All right, cool. Sam, let's wrap it up here. Um, I'll give you the floor to shout at any of your social medias. Um, if you have a website too, anything like that, uh, where people can basically follow you and keep along with your story.
1: Yeah. i use Instagram mostly. I uh at sam george fishing that's kind of the the main one i have a facebook too um but instagram's kind of the one i I stay on most of the time i used to have a twitter but i never figured out how to use it so
0: (laughs) i feel you twitter's a little weird nowadays anyway so instagram um sam george fishing sounds good i'll link that in the bio and let people kind of follow you over there and follow the story i appreciate you spending the time jumping on this with me and good luck with your upcoming tournaments at a couple different lakes and um love to have you on at towards the end of the season too if you want to talk about kind of a recap do a little recap episode with you that'd be cool
1: yeah sounds good thanks for having me
0: You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel, on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook.